0: Years ago, I saw a bumper sticker, and it read, I'm no different than you, I'm just forgiven. I'm no different than you, I'm just forgiven. And I'm, I'm sure the sticker maker and the owner who slapped the sticker on their car, made a, they were making a sincere declaration. And I'm sure they had the heart to break down barriers between themselves and others And they wanted to break those barriers down so they could share Jesus with them. And I know that we're all on an equal footing when it comes to our need for Jesus. I'm very aware of that. However, I'll be honest with you. The phrase that says, I'm no different than you, I'm just forgiven, irritated me. It irritated me. And as I stewed, I kept wondering, is it, is it really true that everything that Jesus did only offers us forgiveness, but doesn't really change us in any other way? It seemed like such a poor outcome for the visit for a visit from the Son of God to Earth. All that effort on his part, only to say... I'm going to leave you the way that you are, but I forgive you. You're a mess, but I forgive you. Your life doesn't really work, but I forgive you. It it doesn't seem good enough for me. It doesn't seem good enough for me. And I'm hoping that that isn't sitting well with you either. Because if that's all it is, it cheapens what Jesus did and it cheapens the gift of salvation. Now hear me. Forgiveness is a great gift and I celebrate it. But we need much more than just forgiveness. And so we're going to see today what Jesus did offered us What he did offered us much more than forgiveness alone. And what we're going to see is we're going to see it not through the New Testament. We're going to see it through an Old Testament prophecy. And so last week we were in Zephaniah. This week we're in another prophet. I think he would be considered a major prophet, not a minor prophet. And that has nothing to do with the type of uh, musical chord that he plays. It's not a major chord versus a minor chord. But he's, he's, a, he's a prophet, it's the prophet Ezekiel, and we're going to look at chapter 36, so if you, if you have paper Bibles, you can turn there, digital Bibles, we'll have the verses on the screen. And in this, in this prophecy, Ezekiel shares with us something amazing, and he shares with us something that was a foretelling of what Jesus' work would accomplish for him and his people. So from this prophecy, the one big idea that we have for today that I want you to walk away with is this idea that our union with Jesus thoroughly and dramatically changes who we are. Our union with Jesus thoroughly and dramatically changes who we are. And so my desire, my prayer is that you will leave a changed person That what we talk about will radically alter the way that you see yourself, see your life, and how you go about living your life from this day forward. That's my hope. That's my desire. So Ezekiel wrote his book while the Jews were in, uh, in exile out of Israel in Babylon. And in chapter 36, he's looking ahead and letting us know that the Jews have a future. They have a future. And that God has a future plan for the Jews. Which included an end to their exile and a returning home. And then when they return home, they will find their home clean and restored. And there will be a new temple. And the Lord's glory will be with them. This is a physical restoration of the Jews, of their land. And it hasn't fully happened yet. If you read scripture, you know that they came back out of exile, but there won't be a complete restoration or a complete returning of the Jews to their homeland until Jesus the Messiah returns. And so many believe that what Ezekiel saw was not the returning of the Jews from Babylon, from Persia, but was a returning of the Jews from all over the earth at the end of time to their home. And what a day that will be. I just kind of picture we're all standing around our TVs and here come all the Jewish people back to their home. Although this is what Ezekiel saw and recorded, he, like we talked about with Zephaniah last week, he, like many Old Testament writers, actually recorded more than they knew. They were writing out of their mind, (laughs) See, God wasn't finished making things known to mankind. I talked about this last week, and I'm going to repeat it again. He didn't, he, God had, wasn't finished with Ezekiel. He didn't stop there. He continued to speak through others following Ezekiel. And as I said last week, most notably those people he spoke through are people like Jesus. Ever heard of him? And the apostles, people who wrote New Testament books. And as I talked about last week, and I'm reiterating again this week, this is this idea of God progressively revealing through his scripture. He made things more known as time moved on. And so we are privileged to actually look back through some of that stuff that was made known through later people, and we're actually able to look back into Ezekiel and see there much more than what he knew he was writing about. See, as I said last week about Zephaniah, the same is true for Ezekiel. Ezekiel saw a promise particularly for the, it's okay, it's okay, I love you. (laughs) Oh, that worked, cool. So Ezekiel saw a promise particularly for the Jews. We see a fulfillment realized and made available to all people through Jesus. So what Ezekiel recorded in the latter parts of chapter 36 is what we call typology. It's a special kind of symbolism. What Ezekiel saw for the Jews is true and will happen, but the symbols he uses in sharing what will happen for the Jews foreshadowed spiritual realities and experiences that would become true and be fulfilled through Jesus. And those things that were fulfilled through Jesus were made available to every person who gives themselves to Him. So, with that focus, with this idea, with this idea that our union with Jesus and ha- with our union with Jesus, and that it thoroughly and dramatically changes who we are, let's go through these verses, focusing on the symbols for us today. And we're going to start in in chapter 36 of Ezekiel, verse 24. And it reads this way. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. Now this land is the land that was promised to Abraham and his descendants, the Jews, Israel. And they were led there by Moses and Joshua and were taken and then we're taken from it in exile. So this is the idea that Ezekiel has with the Jews, the physical reality. For us in the New Testament, this represents in the New Testament, when you hear this idea of the promised land, it is the idea of life in the spirit. Oh no, Mike, there's a lot of hymns that say that that, that the promised land is heaven. I sure hope the promised land isn't heaven. They fought battles in the promised land. I don't plan to go to heaven and fight battles. I don't know about you. I I hope, I mean, I hear things like, every tear's wiped away, everything's dealt with, there will be peace, there will be rest. So the promised land is something different. The promised land is life in the spirit. And see, it's helpful for us to understand, and this may be a whole other sermon another time, but Israel's journey matches the journey of the life of faith for a believer. Three key areas that play into that are, one, when they were in Egypt, we would consider the person that the Israelites were in Egypt, that would be a person who has not given their life to Jesus. They're in slavery. They're in bondage. They have another master. And then God rescues them from Egypt and takes them out and they go through a sea. Do you know what sea they go through? It's the Red Sea. Red is symbolic of blood. This is almost the understanding or the entry into faith that is through forgiveness, the washing, the cleansing. They cross to the other side. God removes the enemies that are over over them and sets them free. But what happens after that? They wander in the wilderness for like 40 years. It's a miserable existence. And for many Christians, they have that initial entry into faith. They accept the gift of forgiveness, but then their Christian experience is one of wandering in a desert wilderness, just barely making it by. Not being able to to live the life that they see that Scripture promises. And so there's another movement, another crossover, another river. Or I guess Red Sea, a river this time. And that's the movement from when they leave the wilderness ultimately and they enter into the promised land. And when they enter into the promised land, God stops the River Jordan again. Now, a little bit of quick understanding of the River Jordan, the River Jordan flows and it empties into the Dead Sea. And when you go through Joshua as I think Bruce did, he when they cross the Jordan and they go across, God stops the rivers all the way up at a city and it's really interesting the name of the city. He stops the rivers at the city Adam. And so you have this picture of Adam who is the first patriarch of all humanity, and he has a life flowing out of him out of the Jordan River, and it is emptying in to the Dead Sea. The lifeline of Adam is a life that produces death. And so when the Jews cross into the Promised Land, God stops that river at Adam, and he cuts off the life of Adam, and it is a second picture of what happens at salvation. And what, that, what happens at salvation is not only is there the forgiveness, but there is an ending to the life of Adam. And they enter into the promised land, and now they begin to live life in the Spirit. And life in the Spirit is pictured by God winning many of the battles for them, rather than them fighting the battles. So the promised land is a picture of someone who is no longer wandering in the, di- the wilderness, living out of their own resources, trying to make life work out of their own strength, even though they have a relationship with Jesus. In promised land, they're now depending upon God in full- fullness and trusting in him and resting in him. So verse 24 shows us that God's purpose for those who are in union with Jesus is to bring them into an experience of living in the spiritual promised land. Not when they get to heaven, but right now today. Right now today. Verse 25, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all of your uncleanness. And from all of your idols I will cleanse you. So the Jews who were defiled when they did things like worship idols or whatever, they were cleansed. They needed to be cleansed from doing that. And when they had to be cleansed from something, it was either with a bathing of water or a sprinkling of water. For those of us who've given ourselves to Jesus in the New Covenant, in the New Testament, we have been spiritually cleansed. And not just with water, but with the blood of Jesus. If you've studied Hebrews, he says his, his working is much greater than the old covenant working. This cleansing isn't just a mere covering. In the Old Testament, it was an external. This cleansing in the new covenant is a cleansing of the, by the blood of Jesus that is, yes, external, but also internal. You have to be cleansed internally so that you can have something good put inside of you. I know people can here. When you can, what do you do? The first thing that you do, what do you do? You sterilize the jar. Why do you sterilize the jar? So that you can put good stuff in it. And so cleansing for us is a sterilization that allows for God to now put the good stuff himself in us. Verse 26, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit, and I will put within you Or sorry, let me read that again. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh. In giving ourselves to Jesus, we have been given a new heart and a new spirit. This implies that we had something before, though. We had a non functioning, an old, a dead spirit. And this is the spirit we were born with because we were born into that family line of Adam. Adam, when he sinned, he showed up spiritually dead. When we show up on planet Earth, we receive the gift of that spiritual deadness. Thanks, Dad. It's hereditary. And so we show up and we have this dead spiritual condition and a byproduct of that dead spiritual condition is a heart of stone. In the ancient world, the heart was the center of choice, intellect, emotion with a purpose of moving someone to action. So with a dead spirit and no connection to God, this led to independent sinful action meaning the heart of stone was a heart that was inflexible and independently willful. You had a source of a dead spiritual condition that was manifesting itself with all of this But But see, the heart of flesh that we receive when we give our lives to Jesus is a heart of submission. It is a heart that is compliant with God. It is a heart that is compliant with his working in our life. Our deepest desire is to follow him and do what pleases him. That's who we are. Oh, but Mike, I really want to do this thing. If I told you to just stop right now and think about at the very core of who you are, is at the very core of who you are desire to follow God's leading, to follow his working, If that's not the case, then you've got a a bigger issue that we need to talk about. That's a salvation issue. But most Christians who are struggling, they're struggling because they've lost the fact that at the very core of who they are, they've been changed. Again, I told you guys, this is going to be an inside-out living sort of conversation as we are here with you. And so, at the very core, if you, in the very internal heart of who you are, you say, I desire to follow God, but I'm having difficulty doing that, that's something different. And we're going to continue to touch on that as we go through this passage in Ezekiel. 27 says, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So notice the difference here. In the previous verse, it said, I will put a new spirit within you. That's a lowercase spirit. That is a new human spirit. But in verse 27, it is a capitalized spirit. It is the Holy Spirit. You'll see that again. Paul does that in Romans. I think particularly in Romans 8, if I remember. So because we have given, we've been given a new human spirit, we are now able to have the Holy Spirit placed inside of us. He lives in us. The new covenant says it this way in first, uh, 1 Corinthians 6.17 from the Amplified Version. It says, but the one who is united to the Lord is one spirit with him. And I know there's a lot of coffee drinkers. When you make coffee, when you take the coffee grounds and the water and you mix those things together, you can't take those things apart. It becomes a something new. And that's what Ezekiel is describing here. A joining, a new spirit, a new heart, a Holy Spirit joined, a new something has been created. A mutation, something that can't be undone. I've heard one pastor say, hey, Christians, if you talk about yourself correctly, you'd be talking about yourself as mutants. So that is pretty cool. So God could not dwell in our hearts, in our old hearts, in our old spirits. God cannot do that. So he tore them down like tearing down an old house, and he built up new ones so he could move in. Have you ever thought of that? God looked at you and your life and your spiritual condition and he said, condemned. And he he said, you know, the best thing we can do is level that and build something new. Not soup it up, not give it a buff job, take it down to the ground and start all over. And that's what he did in Jesus. And he did it So that he could move in. His whole reason is so that he could move in. So, this spiritual transformation is what makes it possible for us to walk, to obey, and to follow God. See, we've always made obedience this mustering up. I got to, we've made it a self effort, a performance. It's all on me. I got to obey. I got to do what God's, uh, strive, 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 work, work, work. But this idea of obedience here, this is not a mustering up. Notice, it is God moving. Actually, in other translations, it says it is God causing you. As you look to him and trust for this new condition inside of you, he is working to move you to bring you in line. You have a part to play. You have a choice to make. I've heard one guy meant to describe it this way. You have the turn of the key of the car. But then as soon as you turn that key and the engine starts, the car almost takes over. You get to steer, but there's a power that shows up. So he initiates. God initiates. And you know what your job is? To respond. To follow his lead. And I think far too often in obedience and the way that we live our lives, far too often what we do is we try to initiate and expect him to follow. I know too well. I'll be the first one to admit it. For a long time my life was, God, here's my agenda. Would you just rubber stamp this and then I'll be on my way? Instead, instead of, I, part of my life, Part of my life story was, I'm done with my agenda. I'm done writing the plan. I want to get on what God's agenda is. God, you initiate, I'll respond. That's obedience. I'm eyes open to what he's speaking, what he's leading. If you're stuck in your journey and in your process, he's speaking and he's leading. And you, he may be giving, focusing on one thing with you. And until that thing you follow and respond to, he's not going to move to the next. So, being or obedience is about being what God has already made you in Jesus. It's bringing your behavior in line with what you already are. Far too often, I think we create this idea that, like the, the bumper sticker said, I'm forgiven, but I'm the same as you. That's not true. You are different. Something changed with you when you became a Christian. And when you became a Christian, that changed. Now your behavior needs to be brought in line with that. I illustrate this with marriage. The day Jill and I got married, I couldn't have been any more married than that day. And if I went around with her and just said, hey, honey, I just really want to be married to you today. She'd be like, are you crazy? <laughs> what are you talking about? We're married. But after 25 years... I've learned to live more. I'm not, good. I'm not perfect. I'm learning. But I learned to live more in line with what it means to be a married person than a single person. My behavior is being brought in line with who I am. That's obedience. Behavior brought in line with who you are. Not trying to become something you're not by behaving correctly. Do you hear the slight difference? It's subtle, but it'll send you down a, a real quick striving path if you get that backwards. 28 you shall dwell in the land i give your forefathers or gave gave to your fathers and you shall be my people and i will be your god again because we are changed if you've given your life to jesus you live in the spiritual promised land whether you feel like it or not whether you can touch it taste it smell it hear it whether you can you know what however you need proof you live in the spiritual promised land the moment you gave your life to jesus There is restoration between you and God, which adds depth, which adds strength to your relationship with him, and it's a permanent arrangement. Because we've been changed, the deepest parts of who we are no longer wish to rebel and dishonor God. I'm going to say that again. Because we've been changed, the deepest parts of us no longer wish to rebel against or disobey the Lord. That's who we are. For us to rebel or for us to disobey is an act that is inconsistent with who God let Jesus come to die so that he could change you for. He meant to change you. And so for you to act different than changed is to be inconsistent with who you are. And see, this is the whole idea. We talk about hypocrisy, right? And hypocrisy is like they say one thing and they do the other. But I want to define spiritual hypocrisy in this way. Spiritual hypocrisy is to act inconsistent with who you are. And if God changed you when you came to Jesus and you are a new creation in Christ, acting any other th- different, any other way different than that is to act any other is, is to act different than who you are. That's hypocrisy. I don't, I don't care what you say. I care about who you are. And when I know who you are, then we can deal with how you begin to live out who you are. Because this is exciting. If Jesus changed you, you can be different. You don't have to go, well, that's just me. That's just who I am. Put up with it. No, that ain't who you am. (laughs) Something different inside of you existed the moment you came to Jesus. And that was something that I missed for a long time. I mean, we say, oh, the man upstairs. (laughs) Oh no, 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 no. He put a new spirit within you. He lives right here. He's inside of you. Verse 29, "And I will deliver you from all of your uncleanness, and I will summon the grain and make it abundant and lay no famine upon you. I will make the fruit of the tree uh, I will make the fruit of the tree and the increase of the field abundant." That you may never again suffer the disgrace of famine among the nations. Again, right here we see complete cleansing. Complete cleansing. And see, I think sometimes we think about this idea of cleansing and forgiveness, and this idea that it all it all matters on today. Like whatever I do tomorrow, I have to wait until I have to wait until tomorrow so that it can be addressed. And yet, you know, the, it says all the sin of the world was laid upon Jesus. Everything you've ever done, everything that will, you ever will do has been addressed in what Jesus did. You are completely clean. I mean, sometimes I think we make a big mistake and, and we act like God goes, oh, I didn't see that one coming, Mike. Oh, man, you really threw a curveball on that. No, it's been cleansed. Now, that doesn't give us a right to rock around and go, I can do whatever I want then. Oh, no, 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 no. You can't because that's not who you are. That's inconsistent with the person that God has made you to be. Why would you act different than a changed, loved child of God? Also here, this talks about spiritual abundance and, you know, I know some of us can claim, oh, you know, well, I can just pray for that Maserati I've been asking the Lord for, and it's going to come. I don't think this is about material per se. I do believe God can materially bless, but that's not always the case. And what's more important is not the material. It's the spiritual. It's what goes on inside of us. It's what flows out of us. So, this abundance he's talking about, what came in Jesus, is an abundance that comes inside of us and now works its way out and wants to spill into the other people in our lives. See, spiritual lack that he mentions here, you will not experience famine, is a picture of an experience without Jesus. But it says, God will bring forth grain and fruit. Fruit should be like, bing, 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 bing. If you're New Testament Christians, we can look back through Galatians and go, hey, fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And we can also think about Jesus talking about the vine and the branches and the idea that the vine produces a life. Jesus produces a life that flows through the branch that then makes fruit and we get to hold on to it. We don't push it out. We just hold on to the fruit that comes out. It also says that when we think about this idea of grain, grain is a symbol that represents beliefs in the Old Testament that lead to good outcomes. And so in context, in context today, we can look at this idea of believing that, like for example, our union with Jesus has changed us. If we believe that, that's going to bring about a good outcome. Because it's going to begin, as we focus on that, as we set our minds on it, as it says in the New Testament, good things can come of that because the good good gifts of God begin to work in our life and flow out. Verses 31 and 32, Then you will remember your evil ways and your deeds that were not good, and you will loathe yourselves for your iniquities and your abominations. It is not for your sake that I will act, declares the Lord God. Let that be known to you. Be ashamed and confounded for your ways, O house of Israel. Ezekiel, we were just trucking along, and then all of a sudden, you're just like, right? You'll have a new heart. You'll have a new spirit. You will loathe your wicked ways. and It's just like a hard right turn, Right? But see, I I don't think it is because what he's talking about here is this spiritual overhauling, uh, this this union that we have with Jesus, it makes us sensitized to our sin, past, present, and future. It breaks our hearts. I mean, if you're sitting there with sin and going like, oh, whatever, I'm a little concerned for you because that creates a lot of problems. Either one, you're an unbeliever or two, you're a believer who's become so desensitized to the working of the Spirit in your life that you just go, la, 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 I don't want to hear it. You almost shell off that internal part of who you are. You're wandering in a wilderness just trying to make life work. And that is not what God intended for you to do. He wants you to hear. So it will break our hearts. It will sensitize us Now, again, I don't think he's putting this here with this idea that we're to beat ourselves up. Oh, I gotta take myself to the woodshed again. It's here for us to know that we've been changed, to mourn the past, to mourn the mistakes, and to know that because we've been changed into a new person, we have a strong desire to turn away from selfish, independent living and now live in a dependent, fully trusting relationship with God. We're to step forward into the future, living as new creations, new creations who have been made new in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, The old has gone, the new has come. But see, we keep dragging out the old. Lord, look at all that. He's like, I dealt with that. I think I've said this already. Jesus was Jewish, so he looks at us sometimes when we bring these things up, and he goes, oy vey. We're going to go there again, Mike. I dealt with that. Now, God says something interesting in that last passage. He says it wasn't for the Jews or our sake. What does that mean? Let's look at 33 through 36. It says, Thus says the Lord God, On the day that I cleanse you from all your iniquities, I will cause the cities to be inhabited, and the waste places shall be rebuilt. And the land that was desolate shall be tilled, and instead of being the desolation that it was in the sight of all who passed by. And they will say, this land that was desolate has become like the Garden of Eden. And the waste and desolate and ruined cities are now fortified and inhabited. Then the nations that are left all around you shall know that I am the Lord. I have rebuilt the ruined places and replanted that which was desolate. I am the Lord, I have spoken, and I will do it. Not Bob, not Sally, not Steve will do it. The Lord will do it. So this outpouring of grace and restoration from from desolation to an Eden fertile life. We look back at Eden and go, that was a garden garden paradise that's was how it was supposed to be and in this thing this idea that this change in our lives this pouring this placing of the holy spirit inside of us should bring about a life the life of jesus that is deposited in us and that life should begin to bring about a sense of people should look at you and be like what's the tilling going on there where's all this life coming from you look like the Garden of Eden. And you're like, well, thank you. Just don't eat from that one tree. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but this outpouring of grace and restoration from a desolate to Eden fertile life, I mean, think about that. Think about that. Would be for God's glory not for ours. Sometimes we think if we have life abundant and things like, oh, I got to like get real humble real quick because I'm not bringing glory to God. No, you bring glory to God when you live in a way that lines up with what he did to change you. That's true humility because it's saying, this ain't me, this is him. I'm just joining in with him and what he's doing in my life and out of it is coming springs of life. And if you're benefiting from it, praise be to God. Because he promises here in this passage that others will notice God's work. And they'll step back and go, what happened? What happened? 37 and 38. Thus says the Lord God, this also I will let the house of Israel ask me to do for them. To increase people like a flock. their people like a flock. Like the flock for sacrifices, like the flock at Jerusalem during the appointed feasts, so shall the waste cities be filled with flocks of people. Then they will know that I am the Lord. Now, if you've gone through the book of John, Jesus says, remember, remember, I am the shepherd, not the Jewish people. I'm the shepherd. And anybody who comes through me is my sheep. And so he will have a flock, a flock of Jews and Gentiles who will be his sheep. And if you've given yourself to him, you're one of those sheep. And see, it's, it's really cool because this flock that he mentions here, one of the things I caught just in prepping for this again this week was looking at this passage. These are flocks for sacrifice. You didn't bring the deformed, the junk The messed up sheep, if you did, God said, that's not, no, uh uh-uh. It was the best of the best. This points back to being new, being changed, being something different. If he's going to add you to that flock, he needs to have the perfection that existed in a sheep that could be given for sacrifice. And were you going to be able to do that by performance? Nope it's possible through what Jesus did. Jesus made you a sheep for the flock. He made you right. And so a life lived in union with Jesus will multiply the family of God. It will bring glory to God and praise the Lord it will elevate the work of Jesus. I don't think we've intentionally done this but when we when we keep it to I'm forgiven, but I'm no different. We're devaluing the work of Jesus. And I don't want to be, I don't want to do that. I don't want to devalue the work of Jesus. I want to bring glory to his work. And his work, his working in our lives, what he did will bring glory to himself and to his father in our lives. That's what he did here on earth. That's what he now wants to do in and through us today. Today. So if you've given yourself to Jesus, my question to you is, are you different? Are you different? Has your union with him thoroughly and dramatically changed you? I don't care how you think. I don't care how you feel. I don't care if you blew it today. Those things can be worked on. But if you have given your life to Jesus absolutely, 100%, you have been made something new. The old is gone, the new has come. Now, the main point of this message is about our union with Jesus and how it changes us. But this change is not possible without us first giving ourselves to Jesus. And if that is not something that you've done, if that's something you're unclear about, by all means, talk to me. Talk to Robin, would you raise your hand? Brad, Bruce, talk to your people online. Shoot me an email. That needs to be addressed. You need to be taken out of Egypt and brought into the family of God. That's step one. Fill out a a paper or digital connection card. That's Do that, and then we can know, and then we can talk. But for those of you who've given yourselves to Jesus to benefit from your union with Jesus and for it to begin to exert influence in your life, you must focus your thinking on how God has described the new you joined to Jesus and in union with Jesus. You cannot start looking for affirmations in your feelings. In your circumstances, in your experiences, you won't find any help there. That's not the starting point. You will f- n- no help. You must start with faith. What is faith? Faith is putting complete trust and confidence in what God says is true, even if everything else in your life says something 180 degrees against what God says. If God says you are a new creation, you have to hold on tooth and nail to that and believe it and trust it and know it to be true and let Him work out the reality of it. Even if everything in your life is screaming, You are not different. You are not changed. You are not someone new. He's saying, Oh, that's a lie, 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 lie. Look at my son. He's sitting right next to me. He he did everything that needs to be done for you to be different. So I want to help you in two ways. One is sneaky good. It's on the back of your little uh, handout in your thing. It's a list of reminders from this passage. It's on the back of the the sermon sheet. I think there's enough for every day this week. And it'll tell you who you are, and it'll give you the verses that cite who you are. Those of you online, we don't have a digital copy, but if you want one, we can get you one. Shoot, Shoot us an email, call us at the church, we'll be happy to get you a digital copy of some sort. But these are things that you can, you know... Paul encourages, set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. Your spiritual connection places you in the above while you're living on the earth. And these things that are in Ezekiel that are talking about you are true of you as you walk down here on planet earth. And so I'd encourage you, take a day. Look at one, take, take, you know, maybe, however you meditate, however, I would just encourage, maybe, I know some people tape stuff up on their mirrors. (laughs) When you're getting up in the morning and you're fixing your face, look at what God says about you. So that's one way I want to help. The other way is that I want to, I talked about this last week with Zephaniah. I talked about, at times, and I'm doing this two weeks in a row, positions of receiving however you receive, if you bow your head, if you close your eyes, if you, if you open your hands and you receive this way, if you cl- however, take a position of receiving and I want to read these over you. Because you don't hear it enough. You hear what a wretch, how filthy you are, what a mess you are. You're dirtied up by the world. You need to hear who you are today. And so take a position of receiving, and I want to read from these these, some summarization from these passages who you are. First of all, Jesus has completely cleansed you. Jesus has completely cleansed you. You have a new human spirit. In union with the Holy Spirit, which moves and empowers you to obey God. You have a new heart that desires to follow, to cooperate with, and to please Jesus. You are not comfortable with sin. It is inconsistent for you to rebel and disobey God. Your union with Jesus is bringing you into an experience of living in the spiritual promised land. Your union with Jesus means spiritual abundance has been placed in you and can flow out from you. Your union with Jesus helps bring others into the family, making God's family larger. And lastly, maybe you've not been told this one enough. Who you are brings glory to God your Father. Who you are brings glory to God your Father. He's happy with you. He's pleased with you. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for what you did. Thank you that we have the privilege to be new. Thank you that we live and move and breathe in you. Father, I pray that each and every one of these truths that we looked at today will begin to sink deep down in the roots of everybody's life this week. That there would be one or multiple things that would just go deep. I ask that in my own life. That we would breathe you in deeply. That we would know that we would know that we would know that at the core of who we are, we are new. And Father, out of that, that each and every individual would begin to see new behaviors and new actions coming out of this understanding. We trust this to you today. In Jesus' name, amen.